Welcome to Midpoint, OCC's midweek podcast aimed at helping you connect with last week's message and prepare you for next week's sermon. Let's dive in. There you go. It's exciting. James got to finally push the record button. This is the greatest day ever. <laughs> I'm well, helping. I'm well, helping with Midpoint. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. You're now official. All right. Welcome to Midpoint, your midweek connection to Orchards Community Church. Last weekend, Pastor James talked us through the result of the moving day passage in Acts 2 and preached a sermon on a sermon. Yes, sir. It's Peter's first sermon, or Luke's paraphrase of Peter's first sermon. And you touched upon a lot of different themes in this sermon. And so what is one thing that you would want people to take away from your message? Like if, if they only heard one thing from you on Sunday or Monday night, what would you want that one thing to be? That That's a good question because it, it is a neat sermon. It is covering a whole bunch of stuff. And so I think the thing that you always want to take away is the plan for salvation was in there. Peter included it because he was going to include it. It's the thing they have to hear. And, and not only the plan in verse 21, where he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but then even explaining what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and a little confusing in his explanation of repent and be baptized and forgiveness of sins, and then you're saved. Because Peter knows you don't do works to be saved. And so there, there's lots of conversation that needs to come out of that. And we tried to have some of it. We just couldn't have all of it. Tried to explain a little bit about what repentance looks like and what it practically is. It's, it's what professing your faith looks like. And, and you know, I had a lady come up and ask me a question. She didn't submit it to the podcast, but she mm-hmm. came and asked a great question. She said, well, then is repentance necessary for salvation? And I was like, yes. <laughs> She's like, yeah. well, but you didn't say that. And I was like, well, I, I said, it's not a work. It's not a work that you have to do to be saved. It is literally the result of what happens when you profess faith. You're yeah. turning away from your sin. You're turning toward the Lord. That's practically what you're doing. And she's like, oh, well, that makes sense. And I was like, man, I thought I said that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just trying to help people understand, if there's a takeaway, that's it. Salvation is always the most important takeaway that we're supposed to get from Scripture. There are many passages that don't deal with it directly. There's lots of correlations. There's lots of stuff. This one did. So if there's one takeaway, that's it. Okay. The, the prescription for being saved is in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the gospel message. Yeah. Okay. And, okay, now Peter said a lot of hard sayings. Um, there was a lot of times that Peter was like, you guys did this to Jesus. You yeah. remember, you you crucified him, remember that? <laughs> um, and so I was just thinking, how much, how much, how hard is it for you to preach hard truth like Peter did? Um, you know, like you 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 mentioned your, your pastor friend. Yeah. Uh, what was his name again? Calvin Berg. Calvin, yeah. <laughs> Pastor Calvin, he'd be meddling yeah. in, uh, in people's <laughs> lives. How hard is it for you to be meddling in people's lives? Well, and, and I again, it's such a neat... I, I remember sitting there in his church and him saying that and, and just immaculately dressed, and he was a real big man, and, and it was just... The style was what appealed to me back in the time before I understood what he was talking about. But the reality is now I understand it. And, and again, I became friends with Reverend Bird later. Good, good guy. Raised a phenomenal family. It's easier to meddle in people's lives when you actually care about them. Mm-hmm. It's easier to meddle when you have a relationship with them. That almost seems counterintuitive, like it'd be easier, like, I don't know that guy, so I can say anything. Yeah. But the, the reality is, if you want it to land and you really care for people, it, it helps when you know them. You know? And so that's the thing for me. God has called me to shepherd this body. It's really easy to stand up there and preach and look out and think, well, I really want the best for you. Mm-hmm. And if I want the best for you, then I'll tell you the hard stuff. And that's what the Bible does over and over again, because God clearly wants the best for us. Yeah. So, so to say it's hard, I mean, there are plenty of things I've preached where I'm, I'm, I do as I'm writing it down, like, man, I don't know that I want to say mm-hmm. that. But you do want to say that. 
because <laughs> that's the most loving thing. And, and so I, I think that's the thing that motivated Peter. Now, the problem up to this point in time, and we see this because we have the entirety of the canon of Scripture now, like Peter at that time, like right before then, everything we'd known about him was not a loving guy. He was the guy who, when you know the, the woman comes and, and tries to bug Jesus, he's like, send her away. Yeah. And, and all this, you know, it's not Peter as a guy uh, mm-hmm. uh, who's showing love. And then you read First Peter, you, and he's all about love. Yeah. And so you think, well, something magical. It's not magic. Yeah. Something life-changing happened. It's yep. the Holy Spirit in him that, that literally allowed him to see people the way God sees them. Yeah. And so that's where you do see Peter was a changed guy because of the dunamis, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I hope I'm just taking it, you know, that, that yeah. he loved these people enough to say, you need to know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is weird that that is loving. Like it's <laughs> the most loving thing is to be truthful and yeah. honest. And I mean, as pastors, we are called to, to be honest and, and hopefully do that in love. Um, but it does help that I mean I know I know for a fact that the congregation here knows that you care about them yeah. that they that it's not just that you know that you care about them and you want the best for for us as as the congregants but also we as congregants as people listening know oh yeah James knows me and and cares about me and wants me to know this and so there's that that like you said there's that it's a two part yeah. sermon like you have to preach and the other people have to listen there's yeah. a responsibility. And that responsibility comes, and it's it's easier when you know the person who's talking. I pray that's the way it comes across, because like you say, otherwise it does. It feels like getting hit with a two-by-four. It's not the thing that feels loving. Yeah, Parents get it. You have to discipline your kids that way sometimes, and you do it, even though it seems unloving. Yeah. And what does the Scripture say? No discipline seems you know pleasant at the time, but it yields the harvest of righteousness. Well, you do that because you want your kids yeah. to experience a harvest of righteousness, not because you enjoy disciplining them. Yeah. Nobody enjoys the discipline. Yeah. No, very, no. very few people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, strange people. Enjoy yeah. Oh goodness. Uh, Let's just move on. Yeah. So, was there was there anything that you left out of your message? There was lots of of descriptive stuff. There was so much in the passage that you had to. I appreciated what you had done the week before when you're talking about the the different places in scripture where you see you know the wind you know mm-hmm. symbolizing the Holy Spirit. There was a whole bunch of stuff that you could have spent time with. I, I would have liked to have spent more time in languages. There just wasn't enough time and still hit the big things that, that I felt we needed to hit. So that that's a deep passage. Mm-hmm. I, I would encourage everybody, and I hope everybody is reading through the book of Acts, read through that and, and wrestle with it a little bit and go, what does this mean? There was a ton there, as he was quoting the Psalms yeah. and everything, about the crucifixion and about what that looked like. I think the crucifixion is something we take too lightly. We're like, yeah, Jesus went to the cross. Well, yes, <laughs> Jesus went to the cross, and and that was horrific. Mm-hmm. And and you know we hang it around our neck, and we have it hanging on. I've got nine of them hanging on my wall at my house. You know, we, we make it artwork. Yeah, it's basically like the the electric chair. It's the guillotine. It, yeah. it, it's the it's the form of execution back in the day. And he went there for us. Yeah. And so we probably gloss over that too quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there was stuff we could have focused on for time constraints. We didn't. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> yeah. But next time we go through Acts, we'll, we'll do a different different focus. All right. Uh, so this is the time we normally do questions from the congregation. Um, and, and the reason we do that is because we want you all to engage and wrestle along with us through these passages. And, and you really, you should have questions. You know, if you're following along with us um, as, as you're reading these passages, questions will come up. They should come up. Um, they come up for me. I'm sure they come up for you, James, as we're reading this. And I think sometimes we think that it's a, it's a sign of weakness or that it's wrong to have questions. Like we should just take it at face value and go, nope, this is truth and that's it. And God doesn't want us to wrestle with these things. But I, I think 
I think it's good to wrestle. I think it's good to ask questions. And so we want to give you guys room to have those questions and, and to really go, hey, I thought this and this kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. How should I address that? And so um, if you do have questions, send it in to OCC podcast at lewistonocc.org. You can email that address or you can even text it. A lot of people don't know that you can just put it in your phone where you normally put the phone number. You can just type in OCC podcast at lewistonocc.org and it will actually send it, we still get it. to that, to that uh, address. So well, since we didn't have any questions this week from the congregation, I have a few for you. And and oh, I like asking <laughs> I like asking these because I I do. I genuinely have questions and and I think it's it's important to know that sometimes, you know, I'm asking this because I don't know or it's things that I've struggled with. Um and so, you know, it, it's good to ask a much 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 older and wiser Christian man. There you go. That's, that was for the Niner comment. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you couldn't are... have said wise in there. Oh, you just said wise. I, wise. Did, I did say wise. Yeah. I gave you some credit. You know, it's <laughs> it's the sandwich, you know. You just... <laughs> Try and put something nice yeah. in there. Um, but these are things that I've struggled with or wrestled with, or even if I were to preach this passage, these are questions that I would have to wrestle with as well. So, um, so question number one, you said that the cross was not plan B, mm-hmm. um, that, and that, I think that can be confusing because it could be seen that, you know, God created this good and perfect world and then Adam threw it off by sinning. And so Jesus had to come and fix it, which kind of gives the impression that, you know, this, this plan uh, of Jesus going to the cross was plan B because had Adam not sinned all of those yeah. things. So how do you reconcile those two? Well, and that's why I brought that up and addressed it. Cause I think that if, if you're engaging at all, that's a legit question. Cause you're like, well, that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I think everything was going to be the way it was supposed to be. And God in his sovereignty knows that that was not the way it was going to work out. And so him orchestrating all those things and, and dictating all that, he's God. And so he, he's, as we said in the sermon, his ways are higher than our ways. But for us to try and wrestle around it, it comes back down to, honestly, the way that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are given this ability to mess up. We, we And, and so we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in our fallenness, we're going to make bad choices. We're going to do those things. There's um, a book into this that you see, if you believe as I do with the, you know, the dispensations of time, there'll be a literal thousand-year period of time where Satan's cast into the lake of fire, and, and people will continue to, to be here on the earth without the temptations uh, that Satan brings mm-hmm. to the planet. And, and if you read that in Revelation at the end, Satan is released. And, and as you read it, you're like, what? <laughs> what's happening? Because <laughs> things were so good. And the reality is then, and, and of course people won't live that long, but, but there will be people who were here on earth at that time who have not had to deal with a reality where Satan comes and, and deceives them and lies and influences. And, and so that's why he's released again, because otherwise the thing that tends to happen in our, in our theological journey and in our faith is when things are going pretty smooth, we give ourselves the credit and we don't give God the glory. We think I'm pretty stinking smart, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in this, the cross being plan A was God's plan originally to say, hey, these people are going to have the opportunity to respond to me. I know they're not in their fallenness. I've already made the way for them to be reconciled. Mm-hmm. I've got this covered. And then we're just left with smoke billowing out of our ears because we're like, well, that's not the way I would have done that. Yeah. Well, no, but the way we would have done it wouldn't have accomplished all the things. Exactly. You know? and, and, and as you study scripture, it points to it over and over again. And there's so many things in the Old Testament with blood sacrifice and these kind of things where like God is setting us up and we just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. 
so many people who struggle with reading the Bible read the Old Testament and none of it makes sense. And and I'll I'll admit it's a hard read if you just jump yeah. in there. I never encourage anybody to start reading the Bible in the Old Testament, although it's incredibly valuable. I'm like, start in the New Testament. If you if you're a brand new Christ follower, start in the New Testament, read about Jesus. Then when you get done, and maybe even don't read Revelation, read, read everything up to Revelation. Yeah. When you get done, go back and read the Old Testament, but now read it in light of Jesus. Yeah. And a lot of these things start to make a lot more sense. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I see that it is pointing to this promise of the coming Messiah, and here's what he's going to accomplish. And, and then you can read Revelation, and, and Revelation's a tough read, period, because we're supposed to apply Scripture literally as much as we can, and there's so much symbolism, yeah. and there's so much... Could you just tell me what this seals and the trumpets and the bowls mean, <laughs> and yeah. make things a whole lot easier. But, but you know, John writes, says, I'm, I'm writing these things that you may understand. And that's where we got to get rid of ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, help me understand what this is. But the entire thing flows together. The entire thing is one picture of God's plan to reconcile his people back to himself. Mm-hmm. And, and so just like with anything, if we understand the purpose, it helps us to get the details. And that, to me, is the picture. The cross is hard for us to imagine because we wouldn't have come up with that. Yeah, We wouldn't have done it that way. And yet, if we wouldn't have done it that way, we'd give a lot of the credit. We'd give all the credit to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not where the credit goes. Yeah, yeah. and that's where that bas- that passage of my ways are, are yeah. higher than your ways. Yeah. You, you don't see the picture. You can't see the picture. And, and I, I just, and I love the passage. I truly do. And, and goodness, study Isaiah for a picture of how this is supposed to look too. Yeah. But, but in that, 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 sometimes I think people want to use that as a cop-out. Like, well, you just say that because you can't understand it. No, I can't understand it because I'm finite because God has created me this way and I don't have the ability. Yeah. And again, Paul says this in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, now I see in a mirror dimly. One day I'll see fully. I'm not going to be able to grasp all this. Yeah, I want to grasp as much as I can, and where I can't, I, I want to quit. You know, I, I like the tension. This is where you talk about the questions. I think that's a great way, and I think you start a lot of sermons that you preach that way. What are the questions that I have mm-hmm. that I would like to have answered? I think it's a great place to start. Well, when you go in going, I'm going to hit a wall. There, there's going to be a ceiling at some point in time where I can't understand this anymore. And at that point in time, I say, God, you're sovereign over this. Mm-hmm. I've struggled mightily in, in my walk as a Christ follower. There are things I see in Scripture that I don't necessarily like, and I used to really fight against them, kicking against the goads you see in Scripture. Uh, And and at some point in time, I went, if I really believe God's Word is 100% true, it's inspired by God, without error, am I going to win this argument? No, (laughs) I'm not. So is there a lot of value in me? I want to understand it in its context as as best Mm -hmm. I can. I want to understand how we're supposed to apply it. And at some point in time, I just have to literally say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Yeah. You've got a reason this is supposed to work out that I may not even know yet. Yeah. It is kind of neat the longer God leaves us here on, on the planet. Sometimes you can look back and go, oh, 20 years ago, this thing happened, and now I see why. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see it 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So trust in God's sovereignty is really beneficial to helping us continue to walk on that path. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can you explain? So in verse 36, it says that Jesus is Lord. And Christ. So just just briefly, or you can take as long as you want. But <laughs> well, what what is the, the you know what, what why do they yeah. say he is Lord and then he is Christ? Well, and and I think again some of that understanding the Hebrew language and, and Yahweh versus Adonai or whatever. But but the reality is that this probably plays more into a conversation people have about lordship, salvation. Do you recognize Jesus as Lord over your life? And what that is, is truly not saying he's God or or occupying the role of God the Father. Mm -hmm. What he is, is he's the master, which is what Adonai translates as. He's the master of my life. 
And so what I'm going to do is quit saying that I'm making my own decisions or I'm making my own path or I got mm-hmm. this through my own hard work and saying, no, the Lord ordains those things. He, he literally sovereignly ordains those. So he is truly the master of my life. It helps, you know, and you do have to wrestle through the tension with that. But then it helps to say, okay, God has asked me to take this job mm-hmm. that I don't want to take that might make less money than I could make elsewhere, that might make me move or whatever. But but he's the one who says, this is the thing that's going to bring me the most glory. This is the thing that's going to bring you the most abundant joy. And so do you trust me on this? Mm-hmm. Well, if I do, I've made him the Lord of my life. I'm letting him make those decisions. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that he's become God or assuming the role of God in the triune Godhead. He is truly the master of my life. <laughs> I have yet to meet someone who goes, man, that sounds great. I'd love to give up all my <laughs> responsibility because we're so selfish. We want to make those decisions ourselves. Yeah. And, and it, it is. I, I've met a few guys uh, and ladies um, in my life who have made decisions that I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And they've moved to an area because there was a godly church there that they wanted to go to. And they couldn't find a job that they, you know, they could have made as much money you know, yeah. where they were. But they're like, I think God wants me to be part of this church. And I, I mean, you're like, wow, <laughs> that's actually solid decision making, but it's not the way the world normally operates. Mm-hmm. And so, what are they doing? They're letting Jesus be the Lord of their life. Yeah, it's hugely humbling, honestly. But yeah. that's that's a role that he plays as the master, the Lord. Okay. And I mentioned the Lordship salvation. I'll take some more time since we're already walking all the way down that. Yeah. There are people who say, well, you can't really even be saved until you understand Jesus as the Lord of your life. I disagree with that to, mm-hmm. to a big extent because the reality is I don't, I mean, <laughs> I might think I know who I am and what's going on, but yeah. I don't know everything about me that God knows. You know? yeah. and, and I know people personally, and I don't see hearts the way God does, but, but they have you know, begun a relationship with the Lord by dying to themselves and saying, I want you to, to offer me the grace and mercy that you do. And they don't understand everything about God, which we can't even here on this earth. And, and I think the making him Lord comes as part of their sanctification process. Mm-hmm. But I was I just d- going to say that. Yeah. But I doubt that that, you know, means that they didn't understand that they're dying to themselves and they're choosing to live for him. Yeah. So to me, I, I don't want to make that, you know, a hill to die on and say, we have to have him as the Lord of your life to truly be saved. Uh, I, th- I think we could have a good discussion about that. Yeah. I know some people get really, really, really hung up on that. Yeah. I, I, I always just thinking about that. I'm just thinking of of like the analogy of like holding on to something with your hand and saying like, you know, before Jesus, you're holding everything on and, and you're like, no, this is my life. I'm doing this. And then when you come to, to Jesus uh, or when Jesus comes to you kind of thing, um, God starts to loosen your hand, but it's not like all of a sudden your hand is automatically open, but God softens your heart and you start slowly, you know, loosening your grip and and pulling one finger off, and then but that, like you said, it's a sanctification process. Well, I, I've I have a personal issue with this because of my mom and, and lung cancer and, and issues. She was a lifetime smoker, and I just think smoking is the stupidest thing. Yeah. You know, and, and but of course you can't lead with that with somebody. I think that you're stupid for smoking because they're not going to listen to you. So, so how do you yeah. gently get to that spot? But the reality is, I, I've had kids. I remember young life kids, you know, who are smokers, whatever. And the last question is like, well, if I accept Christ, do I have to stop smoking? And the reality is, no, <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you don't have to stop at that moment. God could take it away from you. You know, you're yeah. not going to put it past him. But the reality is, even if you want to stop, you have a nicotine addiction and that probably takes a while to break. It's, it's if you truly want to pursue God, he will change you from the inside out and you'll have 
less desire to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I could certainly see him taking that from you, but you don't have to give that up to become a Christ follower. Does that mean you're not making Jesus the Lord of your life because you're going to hold on to this thing? I think that's part of the process. I think that's part of the sanctification process. And I I like that. I hadn't heard that analogy before, but but I like that. Is he just loosening my grip on that and eventually I'll let go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, do I understand him more as the Lord of my life? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's even the wrong question too. (laughs) If somebody says, well, am I going to have to do this? It's like... No, you're going to want to. Yeah. You're, you're going to want. To, you're going to see Jesus as the Lord of your life yeah. in that situation, and that that's honestly the answer that you're trying to get them to because they're asking the wrong question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're looking at it from the from the wrong thing. So, yeah. okay, so Lord is that submissiveness, like we are submitting to Jesus and, as Lord. And yeah, you're willing to let Him be the master yeah. of your life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good job, James. A plus. <laughs> So far, you are passing this. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good yeah. about this test. All right, verse number th- or verse number three. Question <laughs> three: uh, Can you explain why Peter said to save themselves in verse forty, but yet we know that only Christ saves? Yeah, I think that one again is practical. Uh, and, and we were having this conversation earlier about you know how things play out in the church. If, if in our theology correctly, we understand that we can't save ourselves, then you have to wrestle with verses that say you know work out your salvation mm-hmm. with fear and trembling. Well, how are you going to do that? It's, it's a situation like this. Save yourselves. Well, don't associate with that person. Don't do this thing that you know leads you away from the Lord. That's not saving you. You're saved the moment you profess faith, as Peter had already said earlier mm-hmm. in the sermon. So, so you're saved the moment you do that. That should then change the way you talk, change the way you think. And it won't be, do I have to? Do I want to mm-hmm. do these kind of things? And, and I do think, and again, Paul hammers on this so much, it's about the company we keep in this life, you know? bad company corrupts good character. And, and yeah. we know that. I yeah. think we all know that practically. And so you do have to make decisions about, well, am I going to hang out with this person because I want them to know the Lord and, and I'm the only person they know who knows the Lord? Well, that's great. You can do that. But that's really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and now Jesus could do it because he's Jesus. You know, But that, that's, yeah. that's where the WWJD gets a little hard. He, he gets to do things that we didn't get to do. When I quit drinking, I quit going to the bar. Mm-hmm. And that made a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I still was able to, and, and for a long time I continued to play basketball, continued to play softball with these guys, and didn't drink, and that was kind of weird, but it gave me a great platform because they knew I used to be the guy yeah. <laughs> who drank a lot, Yeah, and they'd ask questions, hey, how come you're not doing this? And, and that was great, but I, I, I wasn't strong enough, healthy enough to go to a bar and sit mm-hmm. with those guys and do that. It was just after the games when, when we'd sit around in the parking lot after the softball game and everybody would drink and I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, a, a good thing for me. Well, I wasn't trying to save myself. God had done a, a miraculous work in me. I knew situations where I could go in and, and interact with guys, and I knew situations that were wise for me to stay away. Yeah. So in, in saving yourself, are we not associating with people who we know will lead us down a bad path? Are we taking every opportunity we can to present the gospel, but not sinning in order to present the gospel? Mm-hmm. That was the thing Jesus did that we struggle with mightily. Yeah. When Jesus went to go hang out with a bunch of sinners and have dinner, he didn't join in with them and a bunch of cussing and drinking. <laughs> yeah. He was still Jesus. Yeah. Can we do that? Can we be as Christ-like as we can? If not, then saving ourselves means I'm not going to go to that dinner. I'm not going to go to that bar. I'm not going to go to this place. Be, God's given us discernment to be wise enough to know how to engage. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it takes a lot of strength to be able to, like you said, to in that yeah. case, save yourself. More strength than most of us have. Yeah, yeah. That because there's there's no way we would make that no. choice on our own. Not all the time. We we might every now and again suck it up and get some willpower, but in yeah. general, we don't have that in us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. How prescriptive is this view of the church in Acts? And and I know we're going to get 
more into it. I mean, as, yeah. as it goes on, um, this is kind of a, a an overview of like the next rest of the book of Acts. Um, but how <laughs> prescriptive is this view of the church in Acts? So how much should our church in 2023, how much should OCC resemble this first first century church? Yeah, I can't answer that. I don't want to spoil the rest of the book. I'm okay. Afraid. No, they, cool. <laughs> some... Well, that's all the time we have for it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are in chapter two, and Britain's blowing us all the way through. Now we're in Acts 28. Um, the, the reality is, I think it's a great question, especially in light of where we're going this next week, where there's literally the, these five verses that are, this is the picture of the early church. And, and again, put ourselves in that spot. The early church was 120 people, and then all of a sudden it was 3,120 people, and they were scrambling. They had only these 12 guys, and they didn't have enough people to do church. You know, I mean, you think about the things that we do to try and help people get relationally connected. They wouldn't have had enough small group leaders. They wouldn't have had enough people to host a dinner. They, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they would face some of the same problems the church has today, too. So those things aren't new for us either. Um, there, there's always some questions you have to ask about Scripture. Hey, is this supposed to be prescriptive, or is this supposed to be descriptive? Mm-hmm. And if it's prescriptive, it's prescriptive for us to follow still today. Yeah. If it's descriptive, it's just here's what that looked like. Draw your own conclusions. <laughs> yeah. Know, that may look different for you, and that does change then as you change time, as you change culture, as you change, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things. Um, you know, there's always this strong push even today. Well, we need to legislate certain things, and we could legislate morality. Well, they didn't do that in the early church because you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You you can never legislate morality. We're, we're fallen people. We're going to make bad choices. So, you know, should we try and now have the church do things like that, that that we're not called to do? No, we're supposed to do the things we know we are called to do. Mm-hmm. Make disciples who make disciples, preach the gospel in season and out of season, all, all those kind of things. There's plenty of descriptive things that are prescriptive as well. But there are some things that literally are only descriptive and and many things probably that are only prescriptive. Yeah. So So should, you know, to this question, should the early church look exactly like it did then? I, I think no. Mm-hmm. Because some of the, you know, one of the big things you hear about is, well, the early church really looked like small group because it kind of met from home to home and it did mm-hmm. this and they shared meals. You know, so we should just do that. Well, Jesus still took opportunities. Peter just preached a sermon to 10,000 people. I mean, there, there were yeah. opportunities where there were big groups of folks together. Yeah. Sometimes that's the very best way to spread your message. And so do I think the early church looked like what we get together on, on Sunday or Monday? No. Mm-hmm. But I still think this is a darn good way to do it yeah. <laughs> as long as we then do the other things. And you look to our purpose and our mission and our vision. Why do we want people to be relationally connected? Mm-hmm. It's because the things we're going to see have already seen, and we'll see this next week in the passage, yeah. because that's the thing that's most important. People who are connected, people who know they, they have one another's backs, they, those are the people who tend to love one another and care for one another and shepherd one another and pray for one another and encourage one another. Mm-hmm. That's how all that comes about. And so Scripture tells us that's what we're supposed to do. And, and so I love it, and again, I do think, and, and that was one of the things that was on my heart, this book of Acts does kind of tell us how to be the church. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of prescriptive stuff in there, so we're going to try and always focus on application when we get to those things. God's funny, and just one of the, the neat things in talking about this passage this week, it's also a communion week for us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about how they thought that was important on a week that we're going to celebrate that, because it's still important. Yeah. Those are good things. So yeah, hopefully we'll see a lot of that, not just this coming week, but throughout the rest of that study. So how do you how do you di- differentiate between what what you would say or what you would call prescriptive versus what you would call descriptive? Like how do how do we as just, you know, lay people, lay lay people who read the Bible, how would we read it and go, "Oh, that's descriptive or that's prescriptive?" Like what's what's kind of a telltale sign or yeah. Well, that's a that's a good question and so I hadn't 
really thought about how to answer that before. But but one of the things is, does that thing span the time? Does yeah. that you know is that still as prescriptive today as it would have been back then? Because there were many cultural things back then that, that were a sure. little different. But we try to make too many of those things and go, well, that, that doesn't apply today because that was just a cultural thing. No, there are many things that, that were not cultural things. That was supposed to be part of what you're doing. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that today, this is just on my mind because even of the area where we live, the early church said you're supposed to gather together. I think that's prescriptive. <laughs> I think for sure that is. There are a lot of people who go, no, that's just descriptive. So we can gather together and during the summer, what I do is gather together with my buddies on the lake, and I enjoy God's creation, and we're out on the river, and it's fantastic, and that's my church. No, that's mm-hmm. really not a church. Yeah. That's you doing what you want to do and co-opting God into it and going, well, I'm outside. <laughs> you know? yeah. but, but you're gathering together, but then you're not doing the other parts of, of Scripture. And so the gathering together is we're gathering together in unity where we have the opportunity to bear one another's burdens and take communion together and mm-hmm. be taught from his word and worship together. Yeah. And, and you're not doing those things out on the river. Yeah. You know, you're really not. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, how much of those things are prescriptive? They're the things that we are supposed to do as part of our worship still today. Now, that being said, I'm a, I'm a creation spiritual pathway guy. I really feel close to the Lord when I am outside. I think it's really good to get out on the river. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that part's great, but don't call it your church. Yeah. You know, continue to go to church and then go. And, and that's, I mean, goodness, we have the Monday night service for that reason. If you go out on, on the river over the weekend, as many people do around here, and I don't blame them because it's gorgeous. Yeah. We'll come to church Monday and be the church together. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things. Are, are those still timeless? Are those things we're supposed to do today? Versus descriptive things. And again, I, just, I, I haven't thought more about examples. The, the gathering one was on my head just because that's something that, that we deal with mm-hmm. here in the Valley. But there, there's probably a lot more examples. And, and if folks have questions or specific examples, uh, please send them in because that's fun to think about. I would really like to, I'm going to go, now that you've piqued my curiosity, <laughs> I'm going to go and see if I, if I can find a, a, something that helps to differentiate that more. Mm, cool. Good question from Brenton. Hey, man, there you go. <laughs> that degree coming in handy. <laughs> Wes is going to be so proud there of you. There you go. Uh, well, wh- whoever does midpoint next week, yeah. and you can just unload on them. <laughs> and they'll be like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, before we end this episode, let's talk about next week. Uh, you're going to be preaching again. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to be studying? That is that passage in Acts uh, 2, verses 42 to 47, which is the real, hey, this is what the early church looked like, the things that they did. Again, things that we believe that we're still supposed to be doing today, so they're prescriptive. And, and it's it's just a phenomenal passage. And, and again, it led to your question today. If the early church looked like that, and I and I made that challenge at the end of this last sermon, those folks were in awe of God. And, mm-hmm. and that is what motivated them to do all these other things. And so that's the part, really, that was the challenge for me at the end of this last week. Do we have that? Mm-hmm. When we come together to worship, do we worship because we're in awe of God? And worship is our response to him. Do, or is our response truly one of that slack-jawed wonder? Or do we come because I like those people there, and mm-hmm. I like the way Brenton leads worship, and, and everybody's so nice, and I like the coffee. And if that's why we come, I'm glad that, that people like those things. Yeah. But that's not the ultimate reason. Yeah, we're missing the boat. <laughs> we're, we're really missing the boat. Yeah. And so can we help ourselves to help people get to that spot by preaching effectively through his word, by creating that that attitude of worship. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, again, God has really put a staff together now and, and volunteer leaders and, and a team of folks that I think get that and want to lead people to that. So it's super exciting to be on this side of the, the microphone, on this side of the, the doors. But 
that, that's just the desire for everybody, I think. Are we in awe of God the yeah. way the early church was? Yeah. Do we, do we leave church going, what do we do now, brothers? Amen. What, what do we do? Yeah. yeah. So what, what can we do as a church body to be preparing for this message? Well, and, and one of the things came from the message this last week, but it really is. And, and I've, I've had this. This is a, a recurring thing for me. And, and when you talk about meddling in people's business, are we prepared to come and worship? The number of people who just show up on a Sunday morning and they didn't spend any time praying about what God might teach them, they didn't spend any time praying about folks they could have invited, they didn't even bring their family, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you start to say, well, gosh, did that person come? Why did they come? Was it to check off the box? Was it because they enjoy hanging out and talking in the lobby with somebody? Or did they come because they want to meet God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Whew, get goosebumps <laughs> thinking about yeah. that. And because that's the real reason that you would hope they would come, so that we could be his church and meet with him. Yeah, and then leave going. What do I do now? Yeah. So if we would prepare our hearts well for worship, be amazing to see what God would do. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's midpoint. I know I did. (laughs) Uh, If you would like to send in any questions or thoughts to the show, please email or text again to the address occpodcast at lewistonocc.org. Be sure to join us in service at Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m., as well as our Monday night service at 7 p.m. Hope to see you all very soon, especially Sunday or Monday night. Be well, know that you are so loved by God and Orchard's Community Church. And no 49ers jokes this week, I promise. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't believe you.